evil that's plagued and oppressed us. And on Ash Wednesday, one of the places we go is we, we go there. We talk about the evil that's plagued and oppressed us. The text actually says that Jesus's purpose, if you read the Greek, it's clear that his per- he didn't just go into the wilderness and the devil randomly happened by. Oops. Actually, it, it, Jesus is incredibly intentional. The purpose for which he goes into the wilderness is to face the devil. We know what kind of president Jesus would be. He would be a revolutionary, even more revolutionary than Bernie Sanders. He would, I, we have a fan in the room. Um, in that, what does a revolutionary do? A revolutionary, the purpose of a revolutionary is to overthrow the existing order and set up a new one. And in order to do that, you have to eventually oust the guy in charge, don't you? And in this case, we find out that the guy in charge is the devil. Now, I just want to say, I'm just as uncomfortable talking about this as you are. As a preacher, the last thing you want to end up preaching on is the devil. It's my own fault. I chose this text. Um, I've been uncomfortable talking about the devil for a long time. I remember one, um, one really awkward family gathering. Um, you know, the, th- the subjects you never talk about over the, um, Christmas dinner are politics and religion. And my mother and, my, and her father-in-law got into a heated debate about, um, my, my mom was asking, well, why, why do I have to believe in the devil? Can't I just believe in all the good stuff about religion? And my my grandpa was like, no, you have to believe in... And anyway, it was really awkward for me. It was a very awkward dinner. Even C.S. Lewis was uncomfortable talking about the devil. He, um, he wrote Mere Christianity during uh, World War II. He, uh, actually, he gave it as announces, uh, announcements over the radio while the Germans were bombing London. And it was to try to you know, strengthen the stiff upper lip of the Brits during that time. And... Um, he got to a point where he realized he needed to start talking about evil and the devil. And he said, um, now somebody's going to say to me, you don't really mean at this hour to introduce our old friend, the devil, with his uh, tail and pitchfork. And he said, well, I don't know about the tail and the pitchfork, but yes. But the truth is, friends, that we can't honestly look at the systems of our world We can't take an honest look at them and not see that there is some force of darkness and evil at work in the world. And to be just a little closer to home, we can't even really look at our own hearts, can we? And see that despite all of our good intentions, despite all the things we want to do well, there isn't something that has gone terribly wrong inside us. How did evil come to enter the world? How did our good human nature become twisted Well, it turns out Jesus was not the first human to be tempted by the devil. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve uh, undergo a similar situation, don't they? I used to think this was a fairy tale like Hansel and Gretel um, before I became a Christian. Now I actually believe it it really happened. I really do believe it happened at some point. But whether whether you follow me or not with that, we all know that it continues to happen. The story happens over and over Something has gone wrong inside humanity. Basically, what's happened is that the devil has convinced humans to believe three lies. The first lie is that um, we can be our own God. We can be at the center of our own universe. See, guys, we were actually not made, believe it or not, to be at the center of our own universe. Do you believe that? If you haven't had kids, when you do, you'll discover you're not at the center of the universe, 
right? And actually, we were created, and we all know it, for a relationship with a good and loving God who's at the center of the universe, and we don't have to be, right? But in the Garden of Eden, the devil tempted Adam and Eve and said, you know what? You don't need to follow this guy. You can be your own God. And, and all of us, in one way or another, believed the lie. And if you trace back all of the injustice and all of the oppression, all the wars, starvation, disease that have happened in the world, it's ultimately because somebody is trying to play God in the life of somebody else. The second lie that we were convinced of to buy into is that there's something out there that we really need apart from God, right? And so the devil says, hey, I know you've got everything you need, this beautiful garden here, but you really need this shiny piece of fruit. That's really what you need to have a full and abundant life. And isn't that true? I just feel like, isn't that, and when you look at humanity, isn't that what we're always doing? Aren't we always feeling like there's something greener on the other side of the fence? Aren't we feeling like, you know, my life is okay, but if I just had X, if I just had Y, if I just had Z, I would, I'd be fulfilled. I'd be complete. You know, I used to think that about marriage and no, no offense to my wife or anything, but um, I think we have a myth out there, single people, tell me if I'm wrong, that if you just find that special someone, right, who, and, and you, I don't know, settle down and get married or whatever, all your pain is going to magically disappear. Married people, is that true? Is it, okay, the, 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 I don't know. <laughs> no, it's not true. It's not true about anything, really. That next drink is really going to satisfy me, right? I just need one more. I just need that house. I just need that job. Right? If I just had this career or that person to like me, I'd be fine. And of course, what we discover, right, is we feel just as empty afterwards as we did before. What is it that we're missing? What is this? What are we hungry for inside? What is the human race constantly longing for? We keep filling ourselves. In this country, we are just obese people, including myself, slightly overweight and very overweight. And we keep eating, don't we? What is it that we're trying to fill? I was meeting with um, a pastor today who, um, who wrote a book. And I don't know why I hadn't thought of this before, but he just said, you know, I think we mistake most of the hunger in our lives. We we misinterpret it. We think, I need some more peanuts. Reality, we're hungry for God. That's what we need? St. Augustine said in his confessions, Lord, you've made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And so, and the final lie the devil convinced us all to believe is that if we turn away from God, if we reject his leadership, if we try to do life on our own, if we just say, you know, God, I think I can do this by myself, we break relationship with God, the life source, the source of all good things, that there's not going to be a consequence. He says, you will not surely die. And so, friends, on Ash Wednesday, in a few minutes, we're going to invite you forward. And maybe you've seen someone walking around Providence today with ashes on their forehead. It's kind of like a giant billboard reminding us of reality, of the cost of turning away from God. And so when we bought into all these lies, friends, something went wrong inside the human heart. I, say, I hate to say it, Martin Luther said, human nature curved in on itself. 
And we would like to think that if we could solve the problems of the human race with better government or better laws or better education or better technology, if I just, we just make the iPhone 7, we'll be just fine. And Martin Luther said, our technological capacity has exceeded our moral capacity. We have guided missiles and misguided men. And the problem is that the human heart has gone corrupt. And so for God to deal with the human problem, he has to get to the root. He has to get to the root. And where's the root? The root is in the wilderness. Jesus, like anyone seen Star Wars recently, by the way? Anyone seen it? No, have you heard? It's a little movie. I don't know if you've heard of it. I just love, I just love what Star Wars is about, right? Because at some point, right, to end the movie in episode six, what does Luke Skywalker have to do? He has to face the emperor, Right? The very same, I know, I'm going to preach about Star Wars. Can I preach about Star Wars? The very same emperor, right? Who is the hero of Star Wars? Actually, you know who it is? It's Anakin Skywalker. Incredibly gifted young Jedi with this power to bless, I don't know, the universe with the power of the force or something like that. You know, every story, every great story is actually borrowed from the greatest story, right? And so, but he is corrupted. He is tempted by the emperor, and when he gives into the dark side, his nature is twisted. And the balance of power in the galaxy shifts toward evil. And so for Luke to redeem the failure of Vader, he has to face the same emperor and he has to throw away the lightsaber at the end. I love that part. What does Jesus do for us? Friends, he walks into the wilderness and he faces the one who corrupted the human race and he defeated Satan in the wilderness. Satan tried to tempt him. I won't go through all the temptations. You can read them on your own. This is like watching a master chess battle, though, by the way. They're way deeper than you think they are. But Jesus defeats the enemy in his own turf in order to overthrow the system. And then it says that Satan left Jesus until an opportune time. And we suspect that this is the garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus goes to the cross. And so friends, in the wilderness, Jesus defeated evil. And on the cross, he defeated death itself. And he invites us to be joined to him in his victory. So what does this mean for us in Lent? I just want to bring this home, if that's cool. Two things. First, Lent is not about our need to do something for God. Let me say that again. Lent is not about our need to do something for God. I didn't grow up particularly religious or in New England, so I'm not used to everyone I meet being um, a lapsed Catholic. But when you come to New England, everyone knows about Lent. I was like, when I first heard about Ash Wednesday, I'm like, they do what to your forehead? Why do they do that? Right, but everyone knows about it. And here in the Rhode Island accent, they're all like, oh yeah, I gotta give up chocolate for Lent, you know, or something like that. Was that good? I'll try my best chocolate or coffee. I'm giving up meat for Lent. I've got to get my ashes. I walk around on campus and I talk to people and they're like, oh man, is it Ash Wednesday? Ah, I got to go get my ashes. And there may be some of us here and I love you guys. um, And we all love you. um, But maybe there are folks here that are here because we believe that God needs us to do something for him, to, to please him. It may be that you feel a deep sense of guilt in your life. I have guilt. I'm, I'm Swedish and Lutheran, so I grew up understanding guilt. Or maybe it's duty. Or maybe there's something terrible you've done in your life, 
and you're trying to make up for it. And so you're going to do something for Lent. You're going to come get your ashes. And I'm just so glad you're here. But friends, Lent is not about God needing us to do something for him. Lent is about us admitting that we need God to do something for us. We need to admit to God, we need to admit to ourselves and everyone that we need God to do something for us. We miss this, we miss the point. Guys, we're not, we're not doing God a favor by Lent. Friends, we're powerless. We're helpless. We're mastered by an evil that's greater than ourselves. And God is not some bean counter in the sky who's weighing our good deeds against our bad deeds. Friends, God is a lover who took on human flesh and starved himself to go into the desert and smoke the devil out of his hole so that he could defeat him for us, so that he could rescue us from our estate and join us with him. Real transformation can only come from God's work in us, not our work for God. Um, I've been learning a lot uh, from the recovery community about this. Um, My family has been plagued by the disease of alcoholism. I don't know if other people have suffered from that. I didn't realize it until very recently. But recently, um, two of my brothers have almost died from alcoholism, and it's, it's ripped my family apart. And I never would have found myself going to a recovery meeting, um, but I started going. And um, do you know what one of my greatest wishes is? I wish that every church were more like a recovery meeting. Sometimes they don't use all the right words or theology, but I actually believe that what happens in those meetings is closer to authentic Christianity than a lot of what happens in most churches. The first step, I know some of my friends are here. <laughs> I, I didn't even plan that for you guys. It was in my sermon. The first step, you guys know what the first step is of the 12th step is to admit that you have a problem and you're powerless to solve it. And the second step is to believe that only a power higher than yourself can restore you to freedom. And the, the, I think it's the third, I may get corrected, but one of the steps close after that is to surrender yourself to the higher power. And that is what Lent is all about, friends. And there may be some of you here that realize you may have had religion in your life, you may have tried to do a lot of nice things for God, but I just want to say what he wants more than anything is for us to admit our need for him and to ask him to come into our lives and surrender to him. And friends, if you do that, Jesus will wade into the desert of your soul. He will not be afraid of what he finds there. He's faced worse things, and he wants to come in. The second and final thing that I want to say about Lent is that Lent is about us joining Jesus in the wilderness. In Lent, we're invited to follow Jesus' example of prayer and fasting, not to earn God's favor, right? Not to, God is not interested in earning, but he's not opposed to effort. And so, Part of what we're invited to is, is to enter into the wilderness of prayer and fasting in this season to seek God's face and to have a greater amount of intimacy with God and to see spiritual breakthrough. I always want to say something about fasting. Fasting is really not complicated. Fasting is creating an empty space in our lives that we used to fill with something else, but we're going to leave it void for a season. 
So that when the hunger for that thing, whatever it is, whether it's food, alcohol, um, TV, Facebook, um, NPR, whatever it is that fills that empty space, there's going to be a hunger that begins to develop. And do you know what we do with it? We, we redirect it towards God. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And um, I just want to share that I believe God has laid a calling on my heart to begin praying that the church in America would experience revival. And um, yeah, amen. And um, we can talk more about that. But as I've started praying for that, it's really weird. I've been listening to God in my prayers and over and over, he said things to me like, Greg, I'm inviting you to come with me into the desert. I mean, I'm inviting you to join me in the desert in prayer and fasting. I'm like, what the heck is that about? Like, I don't even know what that means. But as I've been realizing it, there are things in us that can only happen through prayer and fasting. I want to just share about four things. I want to invite you into that season of Lent, into prayer and fasting. And I just want to share why. Not to please God, but why. I think first, in this season, God wants to deepen our sense of identity in him. Jesus came out of his baptism. He came out of the blessing of God saying, you're my son who I love. And immediately he went into the desert. And I believe part of that was to deepen his, Jesus's sense of identity in God and not in anything else, not in his work, not in his job, not in his relationships. And there are some of you here that need to know that you are the beloved child of God. And that doesn't depend on your performance for him. It doesn't depend on anything else. A second thing I, a place I, God may want to move in the desert is to confirm our sense of calling. Some of us are in the midst of a time of discernment in our life. When we go into prayer and fasting, a lot of times our spiritual sensitivity gets clearer and we can hear from God. The third thing is I believe God wants to break some of our habits, patterns, addictions, compulsions, and the deeper, deeper patterns of sin that bind us. And there are some things in our lives that can only be broken by prayer and fasting. What is it for you? Finally, I think the final reason to go in the desert is that God wants to increase our spiritual authority. It says that Jesus came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And what was remarkable about Jesus after the desert was his authority. It wasn't the things he was saying. Other people had said that stuff. What people said, this person teaches with authority. And I believe that our primary problem in the church, our primary issue is not that we don't have fancy enough graphics or good enough music or good enough coffee or twinkly enough lights. Our biggest problem in the church is that we lack spiritual authority. And when the disciples came down the mountain and they tried to cast out a demon, they were not able to do it. And Jesus was able to do it because he walked in authority. And he said to them, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. So friends, Jesus went in the wilderness to deliver us from our enemy. And in Lent, we remember that we're not doing something for God. We're admitting that we need God to do something for us. And finally, we're following Jesus in the wilderness so we can experience breakthrough. So just a moment, we're going to come forward and actually receive um, the imposition of ashes. And this is the sign of Ash Wednesday. And so the folks that are um, doing that can come up. Um,
I want to just share there are two parts to this symbol of ashes. The first is that the ashes remind us of our mortality, our need for God. But the second part is that the ashes are in a shape of a cross. And that reminds us that God is committed to us and he meets us in our need. He meets us in the midst of our sin and our death. It's a reminder that Jesus died the death that all of us are dying so that we could have a life with him that we were always made for. And so in just a minute as we come forward, some of you here may realize tonight you need to admit your need for God. Maybe you've had a religious past or you've done religious activities for God, but you realize that you've actually never admitted your need for God or believed in what Jesus did for you or surrendered yourself to him. And so tonight, friends, if that's you, I think the first invitation is to surrender your life to Jesus. For others of you, you're realizing that God is calling you to press into a season of prayer and fasting for some kind of breakthrough in your life. And you know what it is. Maybe it's about your identity. Maybe it's about your calling. Maybe it's about finding freedom from sin or broken patterns in your life or just an increase of your spiritual authority. But as you come forward, um, you may need to commit this next season to following Jesus into the wilderness. So I just want to say, let the Spirit lead you in that. Jesus didn't go on the wilderness on his own volition. And so let's pray. By the way, if, you're, if you need to prayer, you're making a decision to follow Jesus or some other kind of prayer, we're going to have folks over here as you come up. Come in, in the left line and you can go over there and be prayed for. And so Almighty God, you created us out of the dust of the ground. May these ashes remind us that we are dust and shall return to dust But Lord, may they also remind us of the cross of Christ by which we are given everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said.